Uh, Web3 is not only a growing space, but essentially a transition from an entire centralized traditional business model to a technologically robust and decentralized infrastructure. With ever-increasing numbers of layer ones, DeFi protocols, NFT collections, applications and middleware, Web3 has seen exponential growth in institutional fund inflows in recent times. With all the speculation and generous valuations, there is definitely a lot to mystify. Uh, to talk about digital assets and his journey so far, we have Himanshu Yadav with us today. Himanshu is a founding partner and CIO at Woodstock Fund. Started in early 2019, Woodstock Fund is one of the oldest and largest Web3 focused venture capital firms out of India. They have made investments in 65 plus early state startups across infrastructure, DeFi, NFTs, and more. Some of their notable investments have been in Alron, Biconomy, Covalent, Holoride, and a lot more. Welcome to Curated X Manchu. We're truly stoked to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Chavi. And congratulations on getting started with Curated. Uh, I think we always discuss education as one of the biggest gaps that exist in the space and the way you are trying to break it down and simplify it for new users, I think will go a long way. Thank you. Great. Let's kick things off by maybe knowing a little bit about your journey. What led you to venture into the crypto space? What stage is the fund currently at? And also just to add on to it, uh, I'm curious to know why did you name it as Woodstock? Okay, so okay, multiple questions there. So I'll start with my journey. So I, my background is in maths and engineering, um, and I've always been very fascinated about startups, ideas, business, entrepreneurship side of things. So right after college, I started my own startup in Bangalore in India. Worked on that for about three, four years. Then I started uh, working on another uh, couple of companies in the solar energy, renewable energy domain. So one is an EPC company, one is a power production company. So worked on that for a few years. And I essentially, in that I thought that was the career direction and you know, the path I will be on. But as life throws um, different situations at you at times, I got introduced to Ethereum in 2017 um, through one of my family friends. Uh, who was, you know, mining Ethereum uh, in his basement at the time. And, uh, I was quite curious. I started reading about the space and pretty much within the next month or two, you know, went down the rabbit hole and uh, realized how big of an impact this technology is going to have uh, across all the different uh, sectors and other emerging technologies. So started with personal angel investments in the space in 2017. Um, then the whole, you know, we, the market crashed in 2018, which, you know, in hindsight was uh, quite good because that gave a lot of uh, time to really, you know, study the whole space, understand how this whole uh, architecture and the tech stack is shaping up, uh, how to identify good investments in the space uh, and, you know, break it down. Uh, what is the best due diligence process to have in the space, et cetera. So uh, formed, you know, uh, essentially our thesis, uh, internal processes uh, during those one and a half years. And then finally, in early 2019, uh, I met Pranav, uh, who's, who's my partner and other founding partner. And we decided to, you know, uh, go on the fund journey because that was a time when really no serious traditional Web2 fund was, uh, you know, looking at this this space, right? Most of them had probably written it off as a speculative asset class, uh, and which was quite surprising to us, uh, to be honest. And also, you know, it presented a massive opportunity uh, that 
there is going to be a huge gap, uh, especially when it comes to India and Asia region in terms of, uh, you know, how will the venture capital in the story in the Web3 space uh, shape up, right? And how can we really try to anchor that side of things? So we started with Fund One journey at that time, and because none of us come from traditional fund backgrounds, so we deliberately we kept it small, wanted to test out the thesis that we are building. So focused on few early stage investments, uh, and that was the time when you know uh, was layer one protocols was still uh, you know a lot of debate around how layer one in itself will scale. So there were quite a few opportunities there and across the middleware layer, uh, your indexing Oracle layers, etc. So started with investments across that part of the stack and waited to see how that pans out over the next year or so. Um, and then finally, when we started seeing those layer matures and the application layer really starting to pick up is when we started to make investments across decentralized finance, NFTs on, and those categories, right? So yeah, the journey with the fund started in early 2019. Um, our first fund has been investing actively in early stage projects in the Web3 space uh, for the last three, three plus years now. And we have recently launched our fund two as well. And fund two is focused more towards your mid-market early growth stage kind of opportunities. So like your series A, series B sort of rounds. So we're pretty much you know covering the spectrum from pre-seed to your series B sort of uh, investment rounds right now in this space. Got it. Um, the last bit now. I mean, why would stock and not any other name? So uh, two aspects here. One is uh, Woodstock, if you remember the music festival um, that happened in 1969, that in itself, uh, you know, uh, turned into a whole movement where it was all about expression and freedom, which, you know, resonate very well with um, the ethos of the Web3 and the blockchain space, right? So that name in itself felt like a perfect fit. And Coincidentally, when we were launching the fund in 2019, that was also the 50th anniversary of the Woodstock Music Festival. So, you know, there was sort of um, some signs which the universe was providing that is probably a good name. And, and a slightly personal element to it as well. So in, in when I was in college, we used to have this decentralized uh, software to connect where all students used to connect, have chats, uh, and all, um, exchange files, etc. So the hub that I used to host at that time was also, uh, you know, called Woodstock. So I've had that association with the name, uh, you know, since that time. And it seemed like a perfect fit coming into the blockchain and the Web3 space. So that's why we decided to name it Woodstock. That's interesting. I think the journey has really been interesting as to how you changed parts of the night time, picking up those opportunities that came your way and then leading to something that you really wanted to do out of passion. So also, Manju, when you start your entrepreneurial journey, right, uh, you're practically alone in that journey where very few people trust you with the venture. But as you grow, there are multiple minds and hearts out there who are now fully involved in growing that business. And then you grow as a team. And uh, at that time, I think you really need on all hands on deck. So specifically in this volatile world where there is so much happening every time, every second practically as we speak. So in this round-the-clock market, how do you keep yourself updated with the happenings, ensure that your team is motivated and the fund is on the right path? Yeah, so uh, I completely agree. I think when you are just starting off uh, your entrepreneurship journey or uh, becoming a founder for the first time, 
uh, it is definitely a lonely job, right? You need to figure out a lot of things on, on the go because that's something that you have not experienced before or tried your hand before, right? You might have some experience of it if you have worked in a very small startup team, etc. But yeah, still being a founder and uh, is, you know, involves you wearing multiple hats, uh, right? So the, it, it does get lonely. The good thing about, I think, especially about Web3 and blockchain spaces, it's very open, warm and welcoming, right? So the whole nature and ethos of the space is open source. Uh, people really encourage and share their knowledge very openly with uh, anyone who's coming in, you know, even from the outside who does not have any knowledge or experience about the space. So that, I think, really helps accelerate anyone's entry so to say in the space right because you have people who are always ready to extend you a helping hand and uh, there are lots of channels to like really get started easily across the space right the uh, first uh, there you this twitter telegram youtube uh, channels and uh, you have these communities formed across all these different mediums where people are just talking bouncing off ideas learning from each other etc right and uh, the biggest motivation i think for us and even for anyone in our team um, is just the fact that uh, we it doesn't really feel like work right fortunate the the best part about i think being a vc is you get the privilege of talking to the best founders and the smartest minds around the world right and just by doing that you know every single time you have a good conversation you feel motivated in terms of you know a new idea or use case which someone is working on and they have put so much thought into it and you learn so much from it right so i think more than the work it, it really feels like something that you love doing and, and enjoying and as if you really find something you know that fits in that bucket then everything else becomes really easy right then it's sort of a self motivation that keep, keeps happening in the space so, and I think we, at least I would say we have been able to build a team uh, of really some smart people around us who really love what, what they do, right? Uh, and most of them don't even take leaves, et cetera, because uh, you take a leave for two days, it's like you have missed out on so many things that have happened in crypto and Web3 within those two days, right? So it's just like we are, there's nothing else uh, we would rather be doing. So I think it's very important to find something like that, uh, whatever it is for you as an individual. And once you do that, then you know it's not about work anymore. It's about everyday life that you go with. Very true, very true. I think this new phase that we're getting into with so many people who are not taking it personally as work, but jumping into this space out of an interest to understand what's happening, that's the sole motivating driver for each individual to consider it not really as a work but to understand this space in deep and to get their face out there so really interesting to hear that also um, like it goes right when you're a founder your journey in the beginning I'm sure is a rocky ride with its ups and downs and there are multiple challenges that one keeps facing specifically it could be when people trust you with their money or the markets are volatile they're going haywire or even with the growing competition in the market and a lot more so what have been some of these roadblocks that you faced in growing the fund and how have you stood the test of time? Um, so I think when uh, things have definitely changed now, but when we started the fund journey, you know, this is, we're talking about early 2019, like depth of the previous bear market, right? And that time, uh, most of the investors were still in that mindset that, you know, 
crypto was completely speculative asset class, which has like already had its day and now it's, you know, it's crashed like 80, 90%, it's never coming back, et cetera. So at that time, I think the conversations used to be quite lengthy in terms of helping some of the investors understand ki, you know, this is what's happening behind the scenes in terms of what is being built and how that will enable the future application layer uh, built on top of it, right? So those were some initial roadblock, roadblocks, I would say, that that we uh, you know had to face uh, in the first year or two of our journey. But now things have definitely changed because now, you know, it's like crypto has gone from three years back, it was like uh, a speculative asset class. And, you know, the thinking was I'll invest a bit and see what happens if at all, right? Uh, to now becoming, actually becoming a part of your alternate asset allocation strategy for any serious investor out there, right? So I think that mindset shift has already happened um, across the board, which is why we have all so seeing a lot of uh, the traditional Web2 funds really, uh, you know, starting to get aggressive across their Web3 and the crypto strategies as well. So those were some initial, I think, hurdles, et cetera. And uh, I think what has helped us, you know, sort of navigate through the space, even during the, the crazy bull market that we have seen over the last 12 to 18 months and a lot of noise and froth comes into the space, uh, you know, whenever that happens in a market cycle. Is, is just trying to stick to the discipline and sticking to our due diligence process, the internal thesis we have, staying grounded uh, helps filter out a lot of the noise, uh, right? So I think it's very important to stick to that and not get carried away. Definitely. So picking up on that, the things that you mentioned, having that thesis, doing the due diligence. So I understand being an early stage fund, it is very important to put substantial time and energy in evaluating businesses from all perspectives, right? Be it the tokenomics, founders, the growth potential, the very product or the solution that a specific project or a protocol is coming up with. And also, like you mentioned, right, how you're differentiating fund one and fund two investments as well. So what is your secret to identifying those high potential projects at such an early stage? Is there essentially a method to this madness? I would say the short answer is no. Um, and that's why I think they say investing is more of an art rather than a science, right? If, if there was a method, it would have been a science. Um, so there is no particular method to the madness, but there are definitely some basic guidelines or principles you can follow, which can help you uh, at least identify uh, some good investments or something on, on that direction, right? Uh, when we talk about very early stage investments, uh, it's usually your pre-product, pre-traction uh, sort of investment category, right? Where you are primarily betting on the founders and the idea that they have. So it really comes down to founders at your pre-seed, seed round sort of investments. Uh, who are the founders? Are they in it for the right reasons? Do they have the experience, the credibility, the skill set? and the vision to like build and scale up a company, build a team of the most talented individuals around them because founders can only do so much, right? After a few months, it becomes, who is your core team? Uh, how have you been able to attract the best talent, et cetera? So I think for very early stage investments, founders and the team is probably the biggest factor um, to look at. Uh, apart from that, so internally also we have this, uh, what we call the five T's matrix. So out of that team, one uh, T is the team. So team is the most important. And then you have technology, uh, traction, total addressable market, and the timing. So it's sort of a combination that we 
try to look at out of these five T's, are we seeing a confluence across all the five or as many T's as possible, right? Which could help us get the sense okay, that, that this is something that, you know, is, is worth investing on and probably working with them and building with them. Understood. I think truly an art, like you said, because uh, you that's how one VC differentiates itself from the other in terms of how do you evaluate things differently and then put your bets on them. So um, I also understand that um, a VC is like in the middle of two key stakeholders, right? On one side, you have your LPs who entrust you with their money, with the objective that you would give them massive returns. And then you have the investing companies who work on growing these investments. So do you think um, it is a very relationship-driven business and sometimes it is difficult to match expectations? Definitely is, uh, especially in a space as volatile as Web3 and crypto because you have this massive market cycles, etc. And when it comes to your LPs, most of them, you know, have uh, other things that they are busy and caught up with, you know, they are, they are not really into this market 100% of the time like we are, right? So obviously they will not have the full context or might not understand why there is so much volatility and why things happen in a certain middle space, right? And that is where, you know, sort of communication becomes really important. Uh, so where we, uh, because eventually they have trusted us with their hand and money, right? And it's our responsibility and duty to ensure that we communicate with them the right if they have questions we are available to answer etc so that does become very important so at our end we try to you know do frequent ama's uh, ama sessions with our lps there's newsletters that, that go out regularly we are always available with them <clears throat> uh, you know to have a call if they have any specific questions um, there's a dedicated investor relations team that works on that so it is the keeping the communication with the lps is very important uh, not only to ensure that they have the right understanding of what we are doing as a fund, uh, it's if they have a, a, a good understanding, they also at times add a lot of value, right? Because they come from different experience and background. So we bounce off a lot of ideas with them. They sometimes share uh, about other good projects or deep flows with us, uh, right? And what we just, just discuss about the macro situation and the whole uh, across the overall markets, not only in crypto markets. So it's very important to have that communication going with some of the successful people out there, uh, right? Absolutely. And uh, moving on to the investing company side now. So in the current market scenario, right, where there is a lot of capital free flowing, which may have reduced, I understand, in the recent times, considering the market trends, but how do you see the VC space evolving over time? I mean, how do you see VCs positioned and maybe as strategic investors rather than just a means of financial support in the coming years? So there are two parts to it. One, I think we're talking about the general trend. Uh, a general trend that we have been seeing across the VC space is moving from away from being only capital providers uh, to actually being your value-add investors, right? So do, how, how much value can you really provide to the portfolio company? And it can be across different areas, right? Can you help them with hiring the best talent? Can you help them advise? Can you help advise them on their technology side of things? Can you help them uh, advise on their token economic side of things? You know, if it's a token that they are potentially working on that fits their use case, and can you give them feedback on their product? Can you be their users? Can you connect them with other users? Can you help them build a community, etc. And 
more and more of what we are seeing is good teams and good founders never have shortage of capital right so for them it becomes really important okay who is going to work with me and who is going to provide the best value to me in in this journey apart from the capital right so that's a general trend that we are seeing and that i think all the vcs have to sort of adapt to and be very cognizant of if they you know want to remain relevant in this in, in this space now the second part of the question was more about how the market is right now and uh, especially given the macro concerns geopolitical situation around the war and the you know federal reserve tightening the policies to curb the inflation etc there are definite concerns across the board that there you know is a possibility of a very real slowdown across the capital markets and uh, the capital you know drying up a bit um, i think all the investors are aware of that potential scenario uh, playing out and if that does happen everyone should expect the capital to dry up and not be as easily available as it was over the last 12 to 24 months right and that is where the founders the teams and the projects have to be really smart about how they go about uh, you know their business over the next 2 to 3 years because it might things might get difficult in terms of raising new capital so you have to be very efficient and prudent about your runway how you manage your costs how you build your team how you manage your revenues and how you try to become self sustainable as soon as possible or ensure that if you are in the process of fundraising how can you you know try to close it quickly and get get some good capital and good partners in at that time right so those macro concerns are definitely there how that plays out i think if anyone says they know exactly how it's going to play out uh, they're probably uh, you know they don't know what they're talking about because no one really knows how these things play out when it comes to the macro environments definitely no way true actually it depends on how you you've set up how strong you are in these testing times that showcases the kind of commitment you have or the kind of actual product that you've built that you're able to pass through these bear markets as well so just uh, circling back to the point that you mentioned right where you spoke of these different communities that you can be part of or basically just starting off with twitter telegram or all of these places to learn so there's um, over time we've seen a lot of people in india as well right if we see are wanting to explore the digital asset space but there is always some level of hesitation in jumping into into this unexplored market so what message would you like to give to people who would want to transition into web3 what steps and paths should they follow to start their journey interesting question yeah so i think you just have to first make up your mind and jump into it right away right uh, there's no way you are going to learn about this space especially a space which is moving this fast unless you like really take Uh, take the decision of you no, know, I want to spend the next three months or six months really trying to figure what's happening in the space and understand what's happening in the space, right? Because otherwise, it will get too overwhelming for for you to really try to understand and decode the space. So just make that decision first and foremost. After that, as I said, people are very warm, open, and welcoming in the space. go out attend some web3 meetups conferences meet with people exchange ideas surround yourself with the best people you know follow the smartest minds in the space on twitter get your news feed going so that you are getting updated with what's happening in the space and you know you are learning more things uh, by by keeping yourself up to date 
join the community channels, discussion groups over Telegram. Uh, again, follow some really good news publications across uh, your websites like Coin Telegraph, Coin Coindesk, um, on YouTube, etc. As well, there are some really good channels to consume some good content and market updates. So just immerse yourself first. I think probably that's what you should do for the first month or month or two. And once you start to uh, you know really be in the middle of what's happening in the space and all the updates that are coming to you then it's about really trying to start understanding okay how is this whole technology stack shaping up right and it's fairly easy on a broad level you have your you know underlying layer one protocols which are your settlement layers then you have your middleware layers then you have your application layer so always start from the bottom understand what bitcoin and ethereum are about what are some of the other layer ones protocols that are building the bottommost layer? Why do we need a middleware layer on top of it? What does middleware layer do? And then finally, what are the different categories of applications layer? And what are the different types of applications they are building, right? So that's where you have your decentralized finance, non-fungible tokens, gaming, and all these categories of applications that are sitting. So start with the bottom layer and go up if you want to like really read up and learn about this space and that's how you'll probably start to build a good idea of okay this is how the whole stack is shaping up and then try to find okay which problem or the use case really excites you that you, you know, want to dive further into and work on definitely i think that's really a useful piece of advice because a lot of the people they get stuck in that rabbit hole like, okay where do we start from what is this what is that but that's you you take a bigger picture at hand and then you get started from the bottom going up to see what's happening where. So before we wrap up, one last thing. So there's so much happening with regards to different kinds of projects, be it in the metaverse, DeFi lending, gaming, or even a combination of these. Every project is aiming to have that differentiating factor which makes them stand out. So what is that one idea you feel could become a reality leveraging the blockchain technology maybe by the end of this decade? One idea. So I think uh, instead of looking at it, uh, looking at blockchain as you know, sort of coming up with one idea, I look as this technology is more of an enabler, which is going to cut across all the different other emerging technologies, right? So there's no particular like out of the way idea that uh, I think blockchain will enable in itself. There's, there's just that how it will enable much more efficient business models across all, all of the other emerging technologies, right? So one simple example, you know, can be, let's say we have already had these music streaming, video streaming platforms, right? Spotify, YouTube, et cetera. But we have seen a massive concentration uh, with centralized parties across those platforms where they are the ones who are making money and your end users and artists are not really uh, making any money, right? Mm -hmm. But that is going to change with the help of uh, blockchain, right? So you have simple example on that side. Similarly, you have uh, example, let's say even on browsers, we have been used to, most of the people are used to using Google Chrome. Now, at least even internally, uh, you know, and a lot of people in the space use this new Brave browser, right? And it is much more efficient because you can control the ads. If you want to see the ads, you actually get paid to see the ads, right? Instead of being on the other side of the spectrum where you are just being shown ads, 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 but here you're opting in and actually, you know, you're, you are able to monetize based on 
the preferences that you have and how you control your data. So it has enabled a much more efficient business model just, just across the browsers category as well. Right. So I, I look at blockchain as an enabler, which is going to cut across all the other emerging technologies because it's going to provide a financial layer, which does not require any middlemen. Right. You, you are able to find and interact and transfer value to other peers directly. So you don't need to rely on someone sitting in the middle and taking huge percentage commissions or cuts out of it. And that efficient business models are going to have effects across all the other uh, emerging technology layers. Right? So I'm more interested in, okay, how are we enabling that across the entire stack of other technologies rather than one particular you know, sort of idea which blockchain and itself will work on. Definitely makes a lot of sense uh, looking at the larger picture of things and how it's going to transform a lot of the other things as well, rather than just one thing that it would end up with. Great. So I think, uh, thank you so much. It's been an enriching conversation. The space is vast and you do end up in a rabbit hole as you explore more and more, but working with a vision, with an utmost conviction and an aim to take the fun to greater heights is definitely a lesson to be learned from you. Again, thank you so much for being the part and uh, for sharing a lot of these insights with us. It's really, really uh, very useful piece of advice that you've shared. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And actually to start, I would say now is probably a good time to start because now we are, you know, things are much more quieter than they were six months back. So if you were getting started six months back, you will probably be a lot more overwhelmed. But now things have, you know, calmed down a bit. So it's much easier to navigate through the space and, you know, really try to put your foot down. So I think if you are looking, anyone who's looking to start, now is definitely a good time because, you know, you have a lot less noise to deal with and you can focus a lot more quicker. Lovely. Thank you so much with that piece of advice. I'd again like, like to thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, Chavi. Yeah.